Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm Mila Atmos. How can we get young people invested in political participation? That's our main question today for our guest on Future Hindsight, Scott Warren, CEO and co-founder of Generation Citizen. His organization works to ensure that every student in the United States receives an effective civics education, which provides them with the knowledge and skills necessary to participate in our democracy as active citizens. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Excited to, to talk with you. Why are young people not participating in politics? The first thing I, I, I will say is that I think there's this outdated perception or trope that young people are apathetic, and I don't think that's the case. If you look at a bunch of research out there, millennials, which I am one of, Generation Z, which is the next generation, are very engaged and they do want to make a difference. They just don't see politics as the way to actually make that difference. I think part of it is the era that we're growing up in is one of extreme polarization politics becoming more about tweets than substance. You can't really blame young people for not wanting to get involved. But the other big reason that, that Generation Citizen is trying to tackle is that we don't teach them to become politically engaged. So if you look, you know, generations ago, there used to be two, three, four civics classes that students would take while they were in middle and high school. Now it's one if they're lucky. Our education system is deprioritized civics. And it's not like students are going to learn how to have math or science aptitude if they don't take a class. It's the same thing with our democracy. I sometimes think of it like when you turn 16, you can get your driver's license, but you don't wake up at 16 with your driver's license outside your mailbox. You have to get your permit. You have to practice. You have to take a test. We don't do the same for our democracy. We wake up at 18 and all of a sudden pretend that we're going to know how to participate big reason is that we're not teaching or we're not inspiring young people to participate. That's very well put. Thank you. Why do you think we deprioritize civics education? And when did that really happen? When did we decide, okay, we don't have to teach us anymore? Yeah, and there's a number of theories, and, and one that, that, that I sort of like and I think has some resonance, and, and you can look at statistics to back it up, is uh, we started prioritizing it the, the minute Sputnik was launched. We said, oh, we're behind the Soviets and the rest of the world in terms of science, in terms of math. So STEM became a, a huge focus in our education system. And I think we deprioritized a lot of the, the so-called softer skills like civics education. I, I do think almost from a totally theoretical perspective that we pretended, you know what, our democracy has evolved. It's emerged. It's not as important that people participate. It's really important that we catch up to the rest of the world in terms of math and science. And that's just been an evolution that's continued over the last few decades. There actually is in New York a 12th grade participation in government requirement. It's a semester that typically happens in the second half of 12th grade, which is not the best time to teach high school students something. And if you actually look at the resources that the New York State Department of Education it, it puts on its website, the materials for civics are about two decades old. They haven't been refurbished, and we're not teaching teachers how to teach it either. All of this culminates in a systemic deprioritization of, of civics in the classroom. One of the things that you said on the website is that Millennials do volunteer, mm -hmm. and they prefer to volunteer instead of becoming politically engaged. Yeah. What's the relationship between volunteering and political action? And how are those two things maybe correlated, or how can they be linked together to be more effective? Yeah, I mean, one thing is if you look at, and, and I think that's a perfect statistic because it demonstrates that young people do want to make a difference. I do think that there's been more of a societal push for volunteerism. One example of that 
colleges started caring a lot about whether applicants had volunteered in high school. They don't generally ask what you've done politically. And so we're not prioritizing that to the same extent. When you are volunteering, there is a bit of a, an immediate effect that you can see. If you're at a soup kitchen, you can see, okay, I actually fed someone. If you go to a park, you say, okay, I actually made the park cleaner today. When you're participating politically, you don't usually see that same instant results. If I could call my senator and say, I support this bill, they might vote for the bill, they might not. If I vote, I might get the candidate I want, I might not. And so, A, you don't always get what you want in democracy. It's just part of democracy. But B, you don't see the results right away. Part of what we have to do is to figure out how do we both convince young people that politics is a way, and in my opinion, perhaps the most important way to make systemic change. We often talk about action civics, the work we do is the distinction between volunteering at a soup kitchen and determining the root causes of why hunger exists. We still need soup kitchens, but we also need to understand how are we pulling people out of poverty so that they can afford healthier food and what is government doing about that. Part of it is just educating them to understand that even if we're frustrated by politics, it still reigns supreme. And in my opinion, the more frustrating and the more intractable that politics becomes, the more important it is to actually participate, which can be a difficult proposition to make. If you don't participate, someone else is, and so the vacuum is being filled. Yes, that's exactly right. You've actually just answered my next question, <laughs> like why political action still matters. Yeah, I mean, if you look at any issue of the day right now, and you look at what's happening with DACA, you look at climate change and the fact that we've pulled out of the Paris Accords, you look at New York City, homelessness and what we've been doing or not doing about housing, those are all political. There's nothing that you can do through volunteerism or community service that's going to ensure that undocumented young people who are brought over by their parents can stay in this country other than political action. It's the same thing with climate change. We can recycle. We can all do our part. But in terms of government setting regulations and, and emissions goals, that's going to have a much, much bigger impact. I think government can do a lot of good. But even if you want government to get out of the way, that's still political action. I, I do think in current times, people are realizing that a little bit more. They're not taking democracy for granted to the extent that they did. But any of the issues of the day um, that are most pressing, that, that affect our lives on an everyday basis, touch government, are affected by government, and we can change through politics. One of the things that really struck me on your website is that you said that in 1973, most young people trusted the government to do the right thing. And now only 20% of millennials believe that. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? I think that there's this notion, and this is bipartisan, nonpartisan, that government doesn't work for me, that politicians are more concerned with staying in power. It's especially prominent amongst young people. Now, what happens, I think, is an unfortunate, vicious cycle ensues, right? And so young people say, hey, politicians aren't paying attention to the issues I care about. They're not taking action on stuff like student loans. They're not taking action on health care. They're not taking action that helps us get jobs. So why should I participate if they're not paying attention to me? But then what happens is politicians are rational actors and they'll say, huh, well, I want to get reelected. So who am I going to pander to? I'm going to pander towards older voters because they actually vote. And so they're going to pay more attention to issues affecting older voters. And then the cycle ensues. You have to break the cycle at some point. Some of it is for more participation. Some of it I do think is from politicians actually paying attention to the issues that are going to affect the generations to come. I think there can be a tendency in government to focus on the issues right in front of our face rather than long-term issues. So it is a little bit of a structural problem. We definitely want to get those trust levels up. 
So to that end, you have started Generation Citizen and you believe that every student has the right to learn how to effectively participate as citizens mm -hmm. and you therefore teach them how to do that. You call your action civics curriculum the driver's ed course for civic engagement. How does it work? It's funny because I think sometimes when you say just even the term civics education puts people to sleep. How about becomes a law, three branches of government. We've put the action on the front end and it changes everything. The best part of science class is actually doing experiments and dissections and getting your hands dirty and you learn to love English through reading books that you love. We want students to learn politics by actually doing politics. Action Civics is like a real-world lab for civic engagement in politics. So the way it works is that we work with middle and high schools, and this is a real class. It's something that they're taking, just like they're taking math or science or English. And as a class, they choose one issue they care about. They figure out the root cause of that issue. We have a framework we call the Advocacy Hourglass that goes from broad issue to specific root cause to specific goal. And then they take some sort of real action. So for example, I was in San Diego last week for our first civic stay there. You had a class that focused on the broad issue of homelessness, and they, they took it uh, a little bit more specific and local on, on youth homelessness, which is a big problem in San Diego. Folks might not think about that, but they saw that, and they had personal experience with that too. And they did research and realized that there was a state bill that was being pushed by a state senator that would actually create an office of youth homelessness and put tens of millions of dollars behind it specifically to work on youth homelessness. So they focused on that bill and worked to get their state senator to sponsor it and kept pushing for it. And so they're learning the three branches of government, but they're learning it through an issue that they care about. You have two models, mm -hmm. the democracy coach model and the mm -hmm. teacher-led model. Yeah. Can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah, so we have this curriculum, and then to actually deploy it, we do two things. So one, our sort of how we started when I co-founded it out of Brown is that we partner college volunteers we call them democracy coaches, with middle and high school teachers to teach the class. And the theory behind that and how it works is that the college students are closer in age to these students. So they're able to motivate them and they're able to help the teachers do the research as well. And so a lot of times you'll talk to students and they'll say, we just love having our democracy coaches in there. It made politics more real. You'll have teachers that have told us our students wanted the democracy coaches over us. They're not teaching, they're, they're coaching. So the teachers are still there, but it's a really powerful model. And the second one is the college student model is great, but as we expand throughout the country, We've started doing a teacher professional development approach where we train teachers and provide them with support as well. And so we'll do a training at the beginning of the semester. We check in with them. We provide coaching and we're supporting them throughout. And so as we expand, we'll have those two models. And it's not to say that one's better or superior than the other. They're just two different ones. And we'll continue to improve them and push them out throughout the country. Great. So one of your models is Civics Day. And in mm -hmm. fact, I went to a yeah. Civics Day a few weeks ago. I really enjoyed it and learned a lot about what they learned, actually. But tell us a little bit about what Civics Day is. So it's sort of like a science fair for civics. So what happens is that we get all of our classes throughout a city to bring students to some sort of public building, and they actually present on the issues that they took action on. So you'll have a few representatives, and we have judges. There are community members and city officials. A lot of the students we work with are not used to adults caring about what they think. We go into classes at the beginning of the semester, and we say, all right, you're going to take action on an issue you care about. You're going to make some sort of change. And they're like, yeah, right, eyes rolled. And what's so powerful about Civics Day is they're literally talking to adults, many of whom are influential. There was one class that was working on gentrification through looking at uh, specific housing bills through the New York City Council. And on his poster board, he said, I'm trying to push for this bill, and one of my targets is Council Member Salamanca. And a few minutes later, into the room wants Council Member Salamanca. And so we all prepped him, and then he you know, had a 20-minute conversation with the Council Member. You could see how much it meant to him 
that the person that he was targeting was actually listening to him and having a conversation with him. And that's what government can be. You're breaking down these barriers and having citizens actually interact with people. I mean, politicians are many things, but people is one of them. When Civics Day works, it can be really powerful. We have six different offices around the country. So here in New York, Boston, Rhode Island, the San Francisco Bay Area, Oklahoma, and Texas. And then we have remote sites in, in San Diego and Camden. And so we had Civic Days in all those places over the past few weeks. And so I was privileged to get to go to a number of them. And it's, it's so inspiring to see all the young people taking action in different ways and how they're interconnected in many ways too. Civic Days more than just an event, more than just a day, but it's demonstrating the, the power of youth voice. Congratulations. It's a really tremendous work. One of the teams that I spoke to on Civics mm-hmm. Day had a campaign against processed meats yeah. in their cafeteria. Yeah. And I was really struck by their strategy. Instead of asking for fresh food from the farmer's market, they instead asked to modify within the system, which I thought was really smart. So instead of saying, okay, we want grass-fed beef, they said, just stop giving us processed meat because you have that choice. And I wonder, have you seen lots of really creative solutions or what is your most favorite thing that you saw come out, let's say in the last year, because you've been doing this for a few years now. So something that really stood out and you thought, wow, I haven't thought about it this way. If I remember that class correctly, because I think I talked to them too, they had analyzed it to the extent that they understood that their school used processed meats because it was cheaper. They were trying to make the case to their school about how it wasn't just about economic costs. Another really creative one in New York that sort of gets at the strategy of it is that you had a, a class in Bushwick. So their problem was pollution and littering on their street. A more community service-oriented approach would be, let's pick up our street. They actually did research and realized that the sanitation department has grades for every street, and they help make decisions on how much certain streets get cleaned based on their grades, and their street in Bushwick was basically graded the same as one in the Upper West Side because the sanitation scorecard hadn't been updated in like five years. So they got in touch with their council member who then questioned the sanitation commissioner at a hearing and said, we have to do something about this scorecard. It's totally out of date. And so they realized, yeah, we actually haven't done anything about it in a while. It's pretty creative stuff. Uh, Another one, this is a little bit more serious, but I was just in Oklahoma City and we were working with a school that's predominantly Latino and they were actually opening up an ice deportation center two blocks away from their school. Hit home for a lot of them. They had relatives that had been deported. That's something that they cared passionately about and they worked to raise awareness and to get in touch with their local officials and say this can't happen and so that those efforts are ongoing. Amazing. This is the kind of work that takes a long time. But why is it key to focus on it and to do it for the future? I think a lot of times when people think about political engagement or civic engagement, they do want to focus on the short term, right? So we're living in interesting times, and a lot of people are asking, how can Democrats take back the House in 2018 and everything should be about that? A lot of efforts are focused on voter registration. But I think the problems in our democracy run way deeper than any person or any political party in charge, but really get to the foundations of what it means to live in a democracy the types of values and behaviors that we associate with it. Are we able to talk to and disagree with people that espouse different beliefs than us? Are we able to make our case for issues that we care about? Are we participating not just voting, but interacting with our neighbors and going to local meetings and taking action on local community issues that we care about? And are we actually voting, especially in local elections? This past election in New York in in 2017, you had something like 22% of people who voted. And what's interesting is that you had more people who showed up to the Women's March after the election than voted. You need both of those, but you need people to vote. 
The only way to change that foundational behavior is to focus on the root causes of it. And one is actually investing in ensuring that young people understand how democracy works, why to participate, and what their rights and responsibilities are. It's not going to happen right away. And I think we as a country have to recognize that we have underinvested in our democracy for a while. We've taken it for granted for a while. And getting out of this is going to take a while. But I think that actually educating young people is not the way we're going to get out of it, but it is a way that we're going to start to get out of it. What other ways are important? Another way that we're thinking about, which is more of an innovative way and sometimes more controversial, is lowering the voting age to 16. And a lot of times when I first talk to people about that, they're like, that's ridiculous. 16-year-olds are too young. 18-year-olds don't vote anyways. What's interesting is that 18 might not be the best age to start voting at. Young people are either in college or they're in the workforce for the first time. They're not thinking about voting. And if you can get 16-year-olds to vote, they're still in school. From our perspective, then schools would prioritize civics education more. We're talking about local elections, and so they would actually understand and learn about local elections. And this is something that's worked. You have three towns in the U.S., Hyattsville, Tacoma Park, and Greenbelt, which are all in Maryland, that have lowered the voting age. And in Tacoma Park's first election, after they lowered the voting age to 16, 16 and 17-year-olds voted at higher rates than any other demographic. You see this around the world, too. You have Scandinavian countries, you have Latin American countries that have lowered the voting age to 16, and you've seen their overall participation rates go up. It's something that's gaining traction, and, and I think we need that sort of innovative thinking right now, too. We need some more transformative ideas to actually think about improving our democracy. I like it. I didn't know that you could lower the voting age in a town so, as opposed to federally across the nation. Yeah, it's interesting. And we wrote a white paper on this and did a lot of legal research. You can't do it everywhere. For example, in New York, you'd need to change the state law to be able to do that. In California, cities can change it on their own. The voters have to vote on it. So we actually did this in San Francisco. We did a poll five months out of the election in 2016. It was down 60 to 30. We thought, oh, there's no way this is going to pass. But the young people said, we really want to do this. We lost by three points. We were able to convince that many more people. And, and I think we'll pass it in 2020. Maryland can do it town by town. But a lot of states require some constitutional amendment as well. In order to lower it federally, which happened in 1971, when it was lowered from 21 to 18, you would need a constitutional amendment. And so that, that might be a few decades off, but I think showing that it can work at the local level is, is important. Yeah, there's a lot of innovation on the local level now that people are experimenting with. Yeah, and I you think have that's to exciting. right now. Yeah, yeah you yeah, do, you do. Yeah. So your ambition is to establish high-quality action civics education in every school across the country. Mm -hmm. How do you envision getting there? What's important about what you said is that our mission is not that we expand Generation Citizen everywhere. What I think our, our organization's goals are really about are, are systems change. Just like we're asking our students to think about systems change, we want to think about systems change. And so in addition to the program work, we've started doing more advocacy and policy work too. So how can we use the good work that's happening from students in the classroom and actually scale that on a wider level through building demand for action civics? Just recently, the state of Massachusetts passed a bill that would require and incentivize teachers to teach civics. So we're doing more of that. We're also doing field building work where we're bringing together like-minded players from across the space to talk about the importance of civics and putting equity really at the front and center there. We predominantly work with low-income young people who have fundamentally grown up in 
public systems that demonstrate that they don't value their opinion. It's hard to convince young people who are going to schools that are under-resourced, who have dilapidated walls that are falling apart, that they should participate, right? How do you really convince education systems that their historic mission of educating the next generation of young people to steward our democracy is really important. And so how do we ensure that schools are doing that across the board? Some might be using Generation Citizens, some might be using other programs, some might be doing it on their own. But you look 20, 30 years back, people barely knew what STEM was. Now STEM is everywhere. Everybody thinks about STEM. That's what we want for action civics. So you spoke just now about lower-income students, and Mm -hmm. that's your primary demographic. Can you speak a little bit about the civics engagement gap and how it really manifests yeah, in, I mean, in reality? There, there's no better predictor of whether someone votes or not than their income level. Um, something like if you make $80,000 or more, you voted at 80% clip. If you make 40000 or less, you voted a 40% clip. I mean, it is stark. For too many of these people, government has not paid attention to what they care about. One of our students in the Bay Area, I've, I've talked to her. She was homeless during middle school. And so her experience with government as a middle schooler is they evicted my mom and me. And so they don't care about us. And this manifests in schools, too, where low-income schools don't get the extracurricular opportunities. They're not studying civics as frequently, or when they are studying civics, they're not getting these innovative opportunities that a lot of more well-resourced schools actually get. I think a, a particularly pertinent example of this actually is the aftermath of Parkland. They actually got really good civics education opportunities. So some of them, Emma Gonzalez, for example, credits their AP Gov teacher with giving them a lot of the knowledge and skills that they needed. Another one of the students had just written a 50-page paper on gun control before the movement was unleashed. So they they have a disproportionate ability to actually participate. And then I think the media uh, has a tendency to uphold and uplift certain voices over others. Young people in Chicago and Baltimore and New York City that have been focused on gun violence for ages through Black Lives Matter or other movements whose voices weren't uplifted. And so I think that's just such a stark reminder of, number one, we need to ensure that we're educating all young people to have the same opportunities as those Parkland students. And number two, when they do get involved, we need to elevate their voices. And so we're trying to do both of those things at Generation Citizen. How do you do your advocacy? Do you involve students? Uh, With our own advocacy Mm -hmm. work? In order to get more civics education, to get action civics in schools, not just through Generation Citizen, but in general. Put it on the docket, vote on it, or make it a priority in the Department of Education state by state. Yeah, I mean, our best advocates are our students because they demonstrate the, the effectiveness and the potential of action civics education. So in Massachusetts, they were the ones testifying. They were at lobby days going in to meet with the state reps and state senators. We'll help draft legislation and push stuff forward. But in terms of elevating the importance of the work, students are absolutely vital to making that happen. Excellent. Last question. Mm -hmm. What makes you hopeful? Over the last few weeks, I got to go to a number of the civics days. And there's just this realization of how there's nothing more powerful than an effective democracy in which people are getting to make decisions on what to do in their own communities. They're leading their own communities and you hear students who feel like they do have a voice and they can make a difference. It just gives me hope that our democracy can be something that's vibrant, something that's living and breathing, people having conversations and disagreeing with each other and moving forward and working together as a community rather than just yelling at each other over Twitter. And so getting to interact with our students and see how the next generation is more idealistic and how they can help us build the democracy that we want, not the one that we have right now, that makes me inspired. Thank you very much. Congratulations on your work. Thanks. It was great being here. It turns out that young people are just as idealistic today as they always have been, and they do want to make a difference. 
Part of the problem is that we have not taught them how to become politically engaged. Our education system has deprioritized civics. As we've discussed in our inaugural episode with Bernard Harcourt, if we want the government to truly represent us, we need to take action. Engaging young people in the political process so that we can have a wider view on what matters to society is key to making sure our future is secure. Today, because young people are by and large not politically active, politicians pander to older voters and their needs in order to get re-elected. And this reinforces the cycle of not paying attention to issues that affect young voters. The power of civics education is to revitalize our democracy. Imagine how vibrant our democracy could be and how this would reshape our communities for the better. Are you curious to hear about what other civic action can be effective? On the next episode of Future Hindsight, our guests are Rachel Leyland and Dr. Kendra Abel. They are Southern Hills Elementary School teachers in Oklahoma City. They participated in the nine-day teacher walkout in April, which demanded increased funding for education, as well as higher pay. I marched alongside of teachers that taught and coached me in high school. It was just amazing to see everybody fighting for the same cause and for what is right and what you know is right. It was really powerful. It made me feel like I'm doing the right thing and that I am in the correct field no matter what anybody says. This is where I belong. This is what's right. Until next time, I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Tsumbu. Find us online at futurehindsight.com and listen to us through your favorite streaming services. Thank you.